Now, as you guys know, we've been going through Ephesians. And tonight, we're going to cover one of my favorite passages in the book of Ephesians. This is, this is like the climax of which Paul has been building to in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And, and as I've been meditating over this, I, man, I really just love this passage. It, I was overwhelmed by just how amazing God is. And I, I pray that you too will just be drawn to just the grandeur and the majesty of God in this passage. So if you have your Bibles, when you take your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. I'm going to read this passage for us. Here Paul writes, this is the word of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Here in Ephesians chapter 3, we have a prayer written by Paul. A prayer that he makes for the Ephesians church. And this is the second prayer we find in this letter. The first prayer that Paul writes, it's back in chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. And in that first prayer, Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would know the power and love and the fullness of God. But here in the second prayer, Paul prays for the, for the Ephesians to experience these truths. Not just know them, but to experience them. You see, the goal of theology the goal of studying scripture is so that we can experience who God is. I mean, scripture here, the word of God is just a starting point. We, we know that God reveals himself here and we can study it and we can know it. But what good is having these tools if we don't actually use them? And so here in this prayer, Paul is transitioning in his letter, transitioning from all the theology he's been teaching about who God is, about what our salvation entails of. And now he's going to focus in on how all that's actually lived out in our lives. And he begins with this prayer, this prayer focusing upon how we are supposed to experience the love of God. And what we're going to see here tonight is that this Christian life isn't just a study of God. We aren't treating Jesus Christ like he's just a historical figure who we will never meet. Right? Jesus Christ is much more than that. Instead, we're going to see that the knowledge of God that we have here in the scriptures is a way to build our relationship with Christ. 
It's a relational knowledge. It's a growth, not just through books, but through experience of living life together. I'm going to actually start us off with the big idea of this whole passage. Big idea of this whole passage is that our relationship with Christ grows through depending on the strength of the Holy Spirit and experiencing the indwelling love of Christ for the ultimate praise and glory to God. So here we're going to focus in, especially on this relationship that we have with Christ. And I pray that we will grow in this relationship, that this relationship becomes the core of our Christianity. Therefore, let us then join, let us then join together in this journey, journey through this text, and come to see how these great truths of God impact our lives in such a significant way. So Paul starts off in verse 14. Paul starts off in verse 14, speaking, speaking in this way. He says, for this reason, for this reason, here, this reason refers back to verse 1 of chapter 3. Here we, we, we cover pretty much from verse 2 to 12 is pretty much this, this like tangent that Paul went on, right? This is what we covered last time. It's a tangent. It's, you can put those... You put those verses in the parentheses. In verse 14, he actually picks up his original thought that he started back in verse 1. And he says, for this reason, referring back to the implications of our salvation, that the reason why we're all saved now, the reason why we're all joined together as one in the body of Christ, for the reason why we who were once far off have now been drawn near to God, for this reason, Paul Praise. He begins his prayer with a humble submission to God the Father. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul here bows his knees. Now here, this is not a prescription of how we're supposed to pray. Like, when we're all praying, we're not, we don't have to always bow our knees. This here is a description of what Paul's heart is like. The symbol of submission. Symbol of humility. A recognition that Paul is inferior to God and he needs God's help. And then here he says that he bows his knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This here is a description of God's authority. He is Lord over all people, over all ages. For instance, if you're able to name someone or something, it, it means that you have authority over them, right? You, for, you, for instance, you guys didn't get your name. You guys didn't name yourself. When you guys were born, your parents named you. They had authority over you. Adam and Eve, well, Adam specifically, when he was in the Garden of Eden, he was able to name all the animals. Why? Because God said, have dominion over them. He had authority over them. And then ultimately, God here is the one who created Adam, created the father of mankind in his own image, gave Adam his name. God here 
is the final authority over all creation. God here is the authority over us. And now, then, I want to ask you, how do you address God? How do you address him? You see, I know you guys know this. I know you guys know that, that God is Lord and authoritative. I know, that, I know that you know he created everything, that he is king. That he's in control of all things. That God is big, God is powerful. But what does that knowledge do for you? What does that knowledge do for you in your heart? Does it cause you to bow down before him? Do you understand that this authority that we're talking about here, isn't, it isn't like, you know, one day, I just don't feel like submitting to God today. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. This is not this kind of situation. This is God being ruler over the universe, over your very soul, every single moment of your life. Paul understood that. More than that, Paul called God Father. What a great name to call God. Not only is God capable of all things, but Paul comes to God as a child going to his father with complete confidence and trust in him. Trust that God the Father will take care of his children. Guys, the fact that God is powerful is a good thing. It's a good thing because God is a loving Father. Meaning anytime we come to Him, we can come to Him with full confidence that He will take care of His children. And He will take care of you. And so Paul comes to God on bended knees with full confidence. And then in verse 16, he begins, he begins his prayer. Verse 16 says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. There's a few things to point out here. First, we come across this phrase, the riches of his glory, specifically the word riches. And we come across this again and again here referring to God's insurmountable wealth. We have encountered this phrase before. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, Paul writes this. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then here in, in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says here that we are granted power. Granted here power. Granted to be strengthened according to to the riches of his glory. What does that mean? Because here, Paul is very specific about his phrase. He's, God is not giving us strength out of his riches. This is not spare change that God is giving us. This is, this is much more than that. Right? I was reading an article today, actually, about dumpster diving. Have you guys done, gone dumpster diving before? It's, it's fun. <laughs> it, and I was reading this article about this, this woman in Long Beach, how she furnished her house through dumpster diving. Oh and it was crazy, right? And it's just because 
people in SoCal are just wealthy and they just throw out things that are perfectly fine. And she just takes them and say, I'll take it. It's my treasure. Right? But you see, this is not what this passage is talking about here with God's riches. God, we're not getting God's scraps that he doesn't need here. God is giving us according to his riches, meaning that because God has infinite worth, he's inviting us to share in that infinite worth of him. He's giving us as much as we can ever desire. Our God is not a poor God. Our God is infinitely wealthy. And so we on our own, when we are, we, without God, we have no worth. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are desperate, empty. We are ashamed when we don't have God. But when we do have God, we gain riches beyond our imaginations. That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. What a great blessing to know just how God fulfills this promise of his. He does it through Christ. We who are poor in spirit are blessed with infinite riches in Christ alone. And here, here according to the riches of his glory, God grants us to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. And here we notice that this spirit dwells in our inner being. This here speaks of a progressive strengthening. This is a strengthening that keeps going on and on and on, meaning we're getting stronger and stronger as time goes on. Paul Paul is here praying that the church will continue to grow in this way. That here we, here we have our sanctification. Here we have our spiritual growth. Here, the muscles of our souls are just getting stronger and stronger. We need to say we're spiritually swole, right? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, says the same thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes this, So we do not lose heart. Why? Because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. See how this is a progression? That even in our lowest and most difficult times, the Holy Spirit in you is doing great work upon your soul. That your soul is constantly under construction like the 5 freeway. It's, you're being renewed day by day. So do not lose heart. Rejoice. Rejoice that your heart is being molded and formed in purity and holiness day by day. What's the purpose of the strengthening? The purpose is this, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This here. It's the result of the strengthening this year. It's the reason behind the strengthening, the purpose behind it. The Spirit is preparing your heart, your body, for Christ to dwell in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of Christ. 
This is not saying that Christ doesn't dwell in you already when, when we're saved. When we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, Christ enters into our hearts and dwells there. But this what's saying here is that our hearts are still a mess. Are they not? Aren't they still a mess? What's going on here is imagine as if your heart is like a messy house being tidied up right now. That, you know, the Holy Spirit is just doing your laundry, washing your dishes, dusting the floors. So that Christ, when he's, when he's living there, he has a place that's worthy of his name to live in. That Christ is in your heart and he's setting up shop and he doesn't plan to leave. And what Christ is doing is that he will turn all that's messed up in you, all that's dirty in you, all that's worthless in you into prime real estate. And when the process is done, Christ will continue to dwell in you in perfect union. What we see here that Christ will dwell in us is the essence of the Christian faith. When we're talking about Christianity, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about morality. At the core of Christianity, we're talking about a relationship. A relationship between you and God. A relationship with Christ, our Lord and Savior. That relationship is what defines you as a Christian. So do you know Christ? I mean, do you really know who Jesus is? Like, you know, like how you know your own friends and family. Like, do you know Christ, the one who dwells in you and is with you everywhere you go? Do you know him? That when you are alone in your room, he is there with you. That when you're out hanging out and partying with other friends, that he is there with you. Do you talk to Christ? Do you talk about Christ as if, He's someone you truly know. You talk about Christ not as if you're reading his resume, but as if he's like your roommate. Someone you experience life with. Someone that you know intimately. Do you know Christ in this way? More importantly, Do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? Verse 17 to 19. Here we get this description of how we are to experience Jesus Christ. This is what this relationship looks like. In the second half of verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This, this is a great passage. This here is, this is the well that our souls long for. This is the living water. This is what the psalmist cry out for. Right? When, when psalmist, like in Psalm 63, 1, where the psalmist writes, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. That's in a dry and weary land where there is no water. When the psalmist writes something like that, this is cries for this, to experience this kind of love. This is the cry of our hearts. 
Every one of us, every single person in this world has a God-sized hole in their hearts. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can fill it. Just, just take a look at these, these words here. Just relish them. When Paul here first points out that we are rooted and grounded in love. Here, this is the foundation being established. That everything that Paul is speaking about in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians, that this is God predestining us, electing us, adopting us in love. This is God sending His Son to die on the cross in love. This is Christ making peace between us and God in love. We know love because of what God has done through Christ. Romans 5.8, God shows his love in us, for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So then knowing, knowing that we have these structures of love rooted and grounded in us, Paul here prays for the church to have the strength to understand, to comprehend in every way the knowledge of the love of Christ. I want you guys to know here that Paul here says that we will do this with all the saints. In other words, this growth that we are to experience in love does not happen alone. Does not happen by yourself. Here, this growth can only come through the community of a church. Paul here isn't talking about, again, growing in love intellectually. Paul's prayer here is that we will grow in Christ in love experientially. Meaning, we will come to understand the love of Christ by experiencing the love that believers have for one another. We will experience the love of Christ through the love that we have in the church. This, this is how we come to grow in the love of God. I mean, this is all what First John is about. I don't know if you guys ever read through the entire First John. This is everything First John talks about here. For instance, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because God first loved us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, the saints, when we love God and obey his commandments. And so you see, the way we grow in our love, the way we experience true love, is within the church, within loving one another. It is God who enables the saints to love one another. How does God do that? How does God enable us to truly love one another? Because in Christ, what we learn in Ephesians chapter 2, in Christ, all the saints are reconciled to one body. In Christ, the wall of hostility has been brought down, and there is now peace between each individual. So let me just connect the thoughts here for a little bit. Paul here is asking God, according to his riches, 
to strengthen the believers through His Spirit so that Christ can continue to dwell in our hearts. And as Christ dwells in us, now, and as our identity in Christ continues to grow stronger and stronger, continues to be more solidified, then our relationship with Christ, with one another, will continue to grow stronger as well. It will continue to grow deeper. Why? Because our understanding of Christ and His love grows bigger and wider. And that's the thing, guys. We will never finish growing in our knowledge of Christ's love. Never. We, we are these bottomless vases. And the knowledge of Christ's love is being poured into us. We will be at this task for all of eternity. But what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us today? It means that we get to start today what we will be doing for the rest of eternity. Do you realize that our knowledge of Christ and His love will never stop increasing? That this here is the greatest gift that we can ever receive? That whatever we can experience here now on earth, we will get tenfold more in heaven? We, and we get to start enjoying that process now in the church in the body of Christ, with your fellow brothers and sisters here in this room, I mean, just look around with one another. You can show your love for one another right now in this room by bearing one another's burdens, by praying for one another, by encouraging one another, by living life with one another. And by doing so, you will grow in your understanding of just how great and how deep God's love is for you. So let me ask you this. Guys, do you find, if you find going to church boring, if you find coming here not to be satisfying, that you don't want to sacrifice in love for your brothers and sisters here, if you find reading your Bible and praying on your own boring, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Because... You guys realize this is what we'll be doing in heaven? That's all we'll be doing. Heaven, heaven isn't an endless well of YouTube videos or Netflix shows. We're not just going to be napping the entire time. As much as I know some of you guys want that. Heaven will be an endless process of us beholding God. Learning more and more about Him and His infinite greatness. And praising Him with new songs after new songs with all the saints. And we'll be doing it all together as one body. You guys realize that this is what we're going to be doing? Do you look forward to that? And do you relish the opportunity to experience just a taste of it here at church in this earth? And so here, then, we as we grow then in our knowledge of Christ, that surpasses knowledge itself, the final result of all that is that we will be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the final result. This is what we're trying to get to. Paul here is saying that our ultimate satisfaction can be found in God alone. 
what we should note here is that the Greek word for fulfill over here is progressive. It's continuing. It means that you'll keep on going on and on forever to infinity. Now that's ugly. <laughs> and it'll just never end. This is a never-ending process, guys, of being filled up with the fullness of God. Right? Because if, if our hearts have this infinite wholeness, then we will only can be filled up by the infinite greatness of God. But we can't put a cap on infinite, right? On infinity, there's, I mean, it goes against math. There's, there's no limits to infinity. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, math majors, major. <laughs> what we see here, what we see here is that our satisfaction only be filled with the fullness of God. And because of that, because of that, we get to experience great joy and satisfaction now. But why do I, I want us to just think just for a moment that if we are always going to be filled up with God, that we're always continuing to grow to know God more and more so, how then is it that we're satisfied? Because when we think about satisfaction, we think about, you know, something's complete. Right? Something's done. Well, just take a moment to think about what Scripture says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Psalm 91, verse 16 says, God says this, With long life I will satisfy him. And show him my salvation. So what, so what, what does all this mean? Imagine. Imagine not eating all day. And you're starving. You're, you're famished. You just, just want to bite something to eat. And, but you're swamped with work. You're, you have appointments. It's piled up one after another. And you just don't have time to eat. So it's late at night. And finally... You get a chance to pull up to KFC and you get that fried chicken that you've been longing for all day. And you order yourself a bucket because, you know, a bucket is the only thing that's worth it. <laughs> and, and when that food is made, place on your tray and you, you take a whiff it and it just, you just smell the goodness. The smell is invigorating, right? It's just, you just collapse before it. And you lift up that drumstick to your mouth. And with one bite, oh yeah. <laughs> What do you get? You get that golden, crunchy breading with that soft, tender, juiciness meat underneath. All in one mouthful. It's warm. <laughs> and what do you feel in that moment? You feel satisfied. You feel satisfied that there's food in your mouth. Now, imagine... Imagine always being able to experience that feeling, but never feeling gross afterwards. Like, never feeling like you have to clean your face afterwards because you're afraid of pimples. Imagine that you'll never get sick of the taste. Imagine that you will never feel bloated, but that every bite that you take will be just like that first bite. Guys, friends, brothers and sisters, let us experience Christ in this same way. 
Let us now drink from him, drink from his water, eat from his bread, walk down by his stream, sit by his feet for days and days on end. Let us find our worth in Christ alone because he beckons us to come to him, to come. He calls out to all of you, come all of you who are weary and find your rest in me. Jesus says, come, why do we wait? Let's go to him now because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. In him we will find joy everlasting. And we can experience all of that now. All of it. My friends, cast away your worries for school or starting school. Cast away your worries of finding friends. Cast away your worries of never being able to date. Just throw them out. Cast out your anger. Cast out your hurt. Cast out your desire for justice. Cast out your pains, your shame, your guilt, your unworthiness, your sin, all of that. And recognize that Christ has taken them to the cross. And on the cross, God's justice and wrath against you was poured out upon his son. And out of that sacrifice comes love overwhelming, overabundant, overflowing love for you, for the church. Let us embrace that with open arms. Guys, I know. I know that you know this. I know that you hear this and you're like, I know I want it. But my life just feels so difficult right now feels so hard right now. I want to experience Christ, but I don't know how to get through this pain that I'm experiencing. I get that. Which is why I want you to remember in this passage, in Ephesians chapter 3 here, that the thrust of Paul's prayer is for strength. He prays for strength. Strength to embrace and to grow in the knowledge of God. Grow your knowledge of love. Strength to be filled with the fullness of God. Right here we have Paul praying for all of this. Let me let me let me go and explain this practically through sharing about a little bit about. Um, a man named Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China. Hudson Taylor longed to go to China. And when he got there, he experienced many trials. I have a lot of quotes here from him, but I'll, I'll just pick out one. Hudson Taylor, when he went to China, he, he went there and, and he faced a lot of trials. A lot of trials. And one of the things that he realized when he was there was that he realized that he, he needed to still grow and learn more about who Christ is. Learn how to depend upon Christ himself more. We, we constantly think missionaries as people that like, might be spiritual superstars. But in actuality, missionaries are people who recognize their weakness before God. 
This is what Hudson Taylor said about trials, about his own faith. He says, my faith was not untried. It often, often failed. And I was so sorry and ashamed of the failure to trust such a father. But, oh, I was learning to know him. I would not even then have missed the trial. He became so near, so real, so intimate. And as Hudson Taylor continued to live a hard life, he he got married in China, then lost his wife and family to to disease. And he got married a second time, but he ended up having to leave that wife in England as he continued to go back to China to minister to people. And through all that, if you guys ever read a more a fuller biography of Hudson Taylor, through all that, you'll see that Hudson Taylor's life was marked with sorrow and pain. And yet through all the trials, he says this, I could look right up into my father's face with a satisfied heart, ready by his grace to do the next thing as he might teach me and feeling very sure his loving care. What I see here is that Hudson Taylor embodies the heart of Ephesians 3, 14-21. He constantly prayed for the strength to look up upon his trials with gladness. Knowing that through these trials that he continued to lose more and more worldly possessions, including his own wife. His faith and love with God continued to deepen. Because through those trials, he was able to experience God more so. But he needed strength. He needed strength from the Spirit. And so church, growing in Christ isn't a walk in the park. You're not just smelling the roses here. This Growth that we want to experience in the love of Christ requires strength. Strength that can only come from the Holy Spirit. It requires strength because we will indeed still struggle with our sins. And our sins constantly draw our affections away from God. Guys, do you see this? Do you see that your sins are killing you? That the wages of your sins is death, and they are indeed draining your joy, your satisfaction, your happiness right now. Your sins are what's stopping you from enjoying the one person we were created to be satisfied in, God himself. And this is why we need Christ to clean out the sins of our hearts. We need his spirit to strengthen us, to wage war against the sins that hold us captive. Guys... Do you see that? For some of you in this room here, maybe you've never experienced this kind of love before. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you've heard about Christianity. Maybe you know about the Bible. You learn the gospel. You know the doctrines. You, you've studied. You've engaged with it. But you've never experienced Christ in this way. Maybe here, Right now, I want to invite you, I want to beckon you to come know the love that God has for you. And what you have to do then is first repent of your sins, meaning turn away from them. 
Turn away from this world to look up to God and open up your heart to him. To show God the deep crevices of your weakness, of your ugliness, of your shame, of your guilt. I know it's there because all of us struggle with it. All of us try to press it away, keep it hidden, and not have it come up. None of us want to deal with it. Let's open up our hearts to God. Feel it to him. Admitting your weakness, submitting that you have sinned against a holy God who's perfect. And then when you do that, believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus Christ took all of that, took the sins, took the shame, took the guilt, and he bore that on the cross for you. And on the third day, he rose again, free from death, free from pain. So that you can experience this great joy of knowing Christ and his love for you. If you are a Christian. If you really do believe and yet you're still facing trials in your life. And we all do face trials in our life. And maybe you're battling a sin that, that, that you're so entangled in. That you just long to experience that love of God again. I, I invite you, I beseech to you, I, I compel you to do the same thing. Repent. Repent of your sins. Submit them to God, your struggles to God. And let go of this world. Let go of what this world has to offer. Stop pursuing these temporary pleasures that dulls our senses. Instead, become alive to rejoice in Christ alone. Do you realize that in order just to be filled up with God, we have to eliminate out the world that still stays within us. This Christian walk isn't easy. We will constantly be raging war. Guys, I'm telling you, it's worth it. It is worth it to battle. Guys, look upon Christ with newfound eyes. Be strengthened by his spirit. Be anchored by his love. Grounded and rooted. Let us together as one body embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior and as our friend. He loves us so much. There is so much we can learn about him. Oh, there is so much we can learn about him. And so let us learn more about Christ and his love. His blessings are endless. There is no greater joy, no greater satisfaction than to dive and swim in the ocean of God's love. And so then let me end with the words that Paul ends with here. It's only fitting to end with such end this great truth of God's love in this way by giving glory to God this here is our song this here is our response let's praise the one who demonstrated his great love and power to us let's pray this prayer and I'll close us now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for such a great truth. We thank you, God, that we have Christ 
dwelling in us. And that we can be reconciled as one in Him. Oh Lord, what a great love that you have shown to us. May we embrace that love, just swim in it. May we just hold on to it. May we never let that go. May it, may it just cover us. And may we find an ultimate satisfaction in this love. Ultimate satisfaction in Christ alone. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for, for saving us. We don't deserve such mercy. We don't deserve such love. And so, Lord, may we just then be humbled. Humble before you. And may we sing then great praise to your name. May all glory go to you. Pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen.